everyone, before we get started, I just want to properly introduce all of the bodies on the show today. We have Dr. Tulia Law joining me from York University in Toronto, and two of her colleagues from WorkSafe TwerkSafe, Jennifer and Janice, which I don't think I properly addressed on the episode. I also want to give a quick update in regards to the legal case and GoFundMe that we refer to on the show that they actually won their first case. Yay! So please listen to the full episode for all details and continue to fund their cause for additional legal expenses if interested. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host. My name is Steph Sia, aka Kimchi on stage. I am a stripper, also a digital content creator, so I do have an OnlyFans. I am a former sugar baby and the host of your show. It's me every single Sunday. And every week I bring to you a different guest and we're doing things a little bit differently this week. I am bringing on an esteemed guest. I'm very excited, also a little bit nervous. (laughs) But I am bringing Dr. Tulia Law onto the show today. She is a criminology professor at York University, which is based in Toronto, Canada. Her key focuses in her research is teaching the interplay of gender norms and governance of sexual conduct, and has done extensive research in sex work involving strip clubs and management in the Canadian context. Dr. Law, are you here? Yeah, hello, I'm happy to be here. I am very happy and like really honored and just surprised that you accepted my invitation. So thank you very, very much. I I do appreciate it a lot. Looking forward to getting to conversation today, but um, I guess I, uh, if you didn't know, or maybe I did tell, I think I did tell you in the email, but I am a former criminology graduate That's at SMU. Cool. Yeah, former crim graduate and also gender studies minor. Okay. Back in I, the day. I also did gender studies. Like yeah, it. I feel it helps, and there's just so many intersecting sure. layers there. So I, I just didn't know what I was going to do with that. I thought I was going to go to law school, and then that didn't happen, and then I started my own business, and then. Somehow I ended up in sex work, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's it's been a really, really interesting journey, but now one of my professors at SFU, I had reached out to originally, he then was unable to do the interview, so I reached out to one of the colleagues that he recommended, which was, I believe, one of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Chris Bruckert. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who has had nothing but great things to say about you, so... I'm just glad we're able to connect. So thanks again. I am really just excited to get into it. But that was kind of what I briefly knew about you. But would you like to give yourself your own introduction in terms of defining who you are and what it is that you do? Um, sure. I guess these days, most of my time is spent being a professor, which online is uh, is a little bit more than before. Mm -hmm. Um, Although it's kind of sad because I think students are getting a bit less than before, but this is the context we're in right now with the pandemic. Right. Um, I guess the pandemic is shaping a lot of what I do right now. So, um, I mean, like it is with everyone. So, uh, so one of the things that I'm doing is working with an organization that, um, that my co-founder will, will be coming on to join us um, in a bit today. Yes. Jennifer. 
So our organization is a buy and for strippers organization that provides legal information. We have a website, we have events, and uh, we're undertaking some interesting legal activism right now that we can talk a bit about a little bit when she gets on. So I guess there's a lot of overlap between that stuff and the research that I do. Um, I've done research about management in the sex industry with Dr. Chris Breckert that was very informed by sex worker community groups. Right now it's grant application season in academia. So I'm <laughs> like for a small, I'm applying for a small institutional grant and a large or a larger um, national grant to do some more stuff with WorkSafe to WorkSafe to, to look at what people are doing in the context of COVID in the sex industry, right? Because right. certainly with strip clubs, um, and with any in-person sex work, um, you know, it's it, it was a big change, quarantine, right? People had to move themselves online, which sounds like maybe that's what you did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you were one of the lucky people to have that ex- expertise beforehand. But uh, it's a very learning. landscape. Pardon yeah. me? Forever learning. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely new things that pop out um, just so frequently. So... But yeah, like it's been a struggle. We, I actually did a COVID mini series earlier in the pandemic last year, which I mm. thought maybe I was gonna maybe stop the podcast because I was doing a lot of my interviews in person. Mm. And then uh, the COVID mini series kind of identified and looked at the current challenges that sex workers were going through, whether it was at the strip club, you know, in person uh, doming sessions, escorting, and how people have had to pivot and kind of rethink their strategy and and rejig their line of work yeah and it's different skills that people don't necessarily have i can certainly understand that you know in my job right now like it's not i'm glad that i had the practice of of doing the the work safe to work safe website because you know we've had to i've had to up my online learning platform game mm-hmm. this year because <laughs> you try to you kind of have to try to seduce students to into doing the work when it's not in person so <laughs> I've been hoping that helps but it's it's been a it's been a learning curve you know even even though I am able to keep my job and the institution is resourced enough to give us like training about that it's still a lot of figuring it out it's a lot of figuring out for sure. And I, I feel, yeah, with sex workers that have had to move or have chosen to move um, their line of work online, it's a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very different form of work. It's, I would mm-hmm. say it's even harder than the in-person mm-hmm. work, but mm-hmm. that's in a whole other topic. <laughs> it's a hassle. Yeah, but I really wanted to get into um, your origins and your interest in terms of why sex work and the inspiration in terms of like what motivated you to study sex work and to go down the academia route? Um, well, I guess in my 20s, you know, I was living a different kind of life. I knew a lot of sex workers and uh, it just seemed like something that would be, would be a good contribution uh, to research that in an academic context. And also it's a kind of, research where you need to have personal contacts like I I really I don't know how people do it without personal contacts because there's a lot of mistrust 
mm-hmm. um, sex workers that I think is very um, warranted because a lot of people are trying to save them. Yes. So, um, yeah. So, so, and I also got into it because I, I got in with my supervisor who was doing a lot of really exciting stuff. Chris Bruckert is a really great researcher in the sex work field of research. And uh, so I was able to get in on a couple of projects with her and that, yeah, that, that was really like a, a door open to, um, I guess, finding out that I really liked doing this and, uh, mm-hmm. and it was a good environment for me. I like, I'm a good self-motivator because that's, it's very, um, I guess it's similar to strip clubs in that way. It's, it's, you know, you kind of just manage your time and decide whether or not you're working and when. Mm-hmm. And, so it's, it's similar in that way. I think so yeah, it's just something that I'm glad now, now I'm feeling like established. Suddenly I feel like I'm, I've been at York for a couple of years and now I'm doing this surprisingly important stuff um, yes. with, with admin related stuff. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a stressful time, but it's also exciting. Very exciting. And it's such good work and it's just work that we need to discuss and also just get out there in, in a more realistic and positive light. As you said, there are a lot of assumptions. As you said, you know, the, the saving complex, <laughs> you know, and of course, like a lot of stereotypical notions that are put on sex workers. Like, where do you think that comes from? Like, other than that's how society has painted sex workers to be. I mean, I don't think that we can underestimate the the hugeness of how that's how sex workers are painted to be, right? I think it has mm-hmm. to do with with gender norms. Like it's really not what what women are expected to do, right? I right. think I guess another area of, of research that I do is is around how sexual assault and consent are being talked about on university campuses. Oh are engaging with that and the similarities and differences between what's happening now versus what was happening in, in the seventies with, with second wave mainstream feminism. Right. Um, and looking at that has, has told me a lot about why these kinds of stereotypes about sex workers are so persistent. And it's because I think even still, in spite of all this stuff that's changed around gender and sexuality, for example, in the last 30 years or so, um, or even less than that in the last 15 or 20 years, you know, I think, people being gender fluid like that wasn't a thing 15 years ago really that people yeah. knew about um but even in spite of all of that there's i think that the the way people the way women react to, to sexual assault is still telling and just the discourse around that it still suggests in some ways that that rape is a fate worse than death and to me that says that like that means that women's sexual integrity is their most or sexual respectability is their most valuable possession Mm. and and that's why i think people are still uncomfortable about sex work because it it really rejects that and and flies in the face of it and um even people who are young you know even some of my students they still even if they're otherwise feminist they still you can still see that they've They've, it's hard for them to shed these 
assumptions and stereotypes about sex work. And so there's all, you know, there's, there's often a, a discomfort there, even amongst people who, who like to think of themselves as, uh, as intersectional or progressive or. Right. That, that happens a lot too. Even as you said, um, even self-proclaimed feminists will still reject sex workers Mm-hmm. And it's still surprising to hear that even to this day. Why Why do you think that is? Is, is that just because, again, of like how how women's roles are, are painted or have been painted or? So I guess with regard to feminism, I think there's two ways that, that feminists are rejecting or failing to, sit, to recognize sex workers these days. One is the kind of classic second wave feminist, you know, prostitution and pornography or violence framing. Um, and the other is, I would say maybe like a, I mean, it's all well-intentioned, right? Mm-hmm. So a well-intentioned, but, but misinformed and kind of underdeveloped understanding of colonialism and racialization where, you know, young feminists, I find sometimes are, are, more likely to think that the sort of like high class escorts that that they imagine to be like rich and white mm, um yes. and like I, I it's i just think it's interesting that that's sort of a i guess that's its own stereotype although it's a good stereotype <laughs> uh, you know in, in terms of it not being like pathetic but um, that they contra- that they have that image in their mind that they then contrast with, um, you know, racialized and indigenous women struggling on the street and not um, having any agency at all, which, right. you know, which which indigenous and racialized sex workers and academics have um, have done some really interesting and important work to to deconstruct and reject that, right? It's mm-hmm. not it's not that black and white. It's not that much of a dichotomy. Right. Yeah, so it's just it's interesting that that when there's those gaps in knowledge that even young feminists kind of fill it in with um I guess with stuff that we wouldn't expect, right? Because it's still ultimately sort of squeamish, but now it's squeamishness informed by, you know, I think a, a well-intentioned um but maybe overly reactive and underinformed critique of of colonialism. Right. Do you find that cuz again as you said earlier like stuff like gender and and sex work like that wasn't as liberal, I would say. I don't know if that's the right word as it is now and and uh, I find that the younger generations are just a lot more woke nowadays like do do you find that and going back to what you said but like not being as educated on it but also being educated on it but fueled by I don't know anger I guess I'm not what I'm trying to say here (laughs) I don't don't know like like the because the young feminists that I've been talking about are the new generation right like they're they're Mm -hmm. like 20 years old yeah right my students um so yeah, so I just find it interesting how how there are, like, definitely um, their views. Like, we had a really interesting discussion in class the other day. I had assigned this article about um, gender differences 
and 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 friendships between boys and girls and how that was uh could be a risk factor or protective factor against youth crime and uh so so they were saying well it was you know things have changed even since 2005 with regard to gender socialization and and you know the way people especially men can express themselves more emotionally now mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so I, I think that is 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 true but i don't know if it's as true as they think it is because mm. i guess some of the other research i've been doing looks at how um so i'm really interested in how people learn and apply anti-sexual violence workshops and training that that are increasingly being offered at universities now right and a lot of it is around consent that seems to be the most um the hot topic yeah like the sort of most lauded way of of teaching that right now so so i've been interviewing young people about that like university aged people Mm -hmm. so and i asked them how they you know, how they negotiate a sexual interaction, right? Like, how do you know if, if you, if your partner is interested, how do you make sure that your partner knows you're interested or not? And what I found in that is very, like, surprisingly, um, gender normative stuff. Okay. Amongst heterosexual people, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, like the, the young women are expecting the young men to make the first First move. move and, and said stuff like they hate the idea of making a move themselves because they really are so offended by rejection. So, oh. so, so gender norms are more stubborn than I think we think they are. Interesting. Um, so, so I do think it's changing, but I think that change will take a long time. And I think that's why we are where we are with sex work right now. Yeah, for sure. We still have a long, long ways to go. Um, tell me a little bit about if you can tell me about your students, like what kind of students do you find that are taking your class that are vested in this type of um, subject? Um, so I don't teach a class directly on sex work okay. at York, but I do kind of integrate it into stuff where I can because I think it's I think it's better to to expose people that haven't necessarily chosen to learn about that topic mm-hmm. to it because then you're not preaching to the converted which i find is something that we can often um get into cycles of as academics or activists mm-hmm. so um like right now i'm teaching youth crime and we have a week on teenage cultural anxieties around teenage sexuality so i've i've assigned them a chapter in a book out of BC, actually, out of UBC oh. Press. Um, it's a it's it's the sex work activism in Canada book. I forget the title of it right oh, now. Oh, cool. Okay, um, that's okay. <laughs> Olia Durzin is one of the editors, and I think yeah. If it pops up later, we can put in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so that that chapter is two youth who are involved in in trading sex for money talking to each other it's sort of a casual interview mm-hmm. um, so it's only their voices right and they talk about how assumptions of youth being exploited in the sex industry doesn't help them and how they're they want sort of a more harm reduction approach to it but also that they they don't necessarily call it sex work because mm-hmm. of the reasons why they're doing it and also the forms in which they're doing it are not quite the same as um 
as adult sex workers. Okay. Uh, that week we also talk about sexting and the yes, <laughs> the moral panic around that and how it's really like I find it really interesting adults' responses to sexting because it's 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 basically abstinence, right? That's basically what they're telling young people. I'm telling young women you should abstain because boys are risky. Um, right. So it's like very, that's very much like a step backwards too in sex right. education, right? We don't preach abstinence anymore in sex no. education. Now that there's like this new techno technological version of it, that's what it goes back to. So I think that illustrates the stubbornness of gender stereotype. Okay. For again. sure. Interesting. But yeah, so anyway, I try to, I try to get them to read stuff, um, as it pertains to, to my courses. And in another course I've assigned some of my research with um, Professor Ruckert about management in the sex industry. It's a, it's a chapter of a report we did, and the chapter is called Why Work for a Third Party? So it, it's, oh. uh, it's featuring um, the narratives of sex workers from interviews talking about why why they do that, which I think is something that people often wonder about um, mm -hmm. because all they know is the pimp stereotype. Right, right. And you know what? That's a great segue. So why don't we start talking about sex industry management. Can you go a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So um, I guess the research that we did was about Eastern Canada. So it was Ontario all the way to the Maritimes. Okay. And uh, we looked at the, the term that we used in the research was third parties. So anyone who organizes, supervises, uh, manages, or facilitates the labor of sex workers. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we did that was to get a broad catchment of people, right? We want people, and it was kind of interesting because we did get a couple of people. I remember reading a couple of interviews where people were saying things like, oh, I never thought of myself as a third party before, but this, I guess this is what I am doing because some people did it sort of occasionally, right? So, so okay. I helped, so we, after we, we got, you know, the, the, it was a big project looking at various sectors ranging from strip clubs to um, other indoor venues like massage parlors and okay. um, to the street. Mm -hmm. But we looked at the, the indoor, so we look at, at in-call, out-call stuff, and then I looked at the strip club stuff later myself. Mm -hmm. So in like amongst the indoor third parties, some people were, yeah, just doing it pretty casually. Like there was some people who um, were sort of a secretary to oh. like someone was working as sort of a secretary to to one other sex worker and and that woman was also um a former sex worker okay so okay. so there was actually a lot so there was a lot of things that people don't expect so like a lot of the people that we interviewed as third parties were were women um so cis or trans women who were current or former sex workers Mm -hmm. um, and, and so being a third party was either an extension of their their own sex work or of their career in the sex industry, right? They wanted to, you know, transition into to another form of of work in the sex industry, right? But still, still stay in it. But, I see. You know, as we all know, it's 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 harder to make a buck when you when you age. Yes, <laughs> a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you've been you've been doing this research for for quite a long time now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like what going into the research, were there any of your findings that really surprised you? Um, 
I, I have been sitting with it now for so long that uh, <laughs> it appears unsurprised. So I guess I'll start with like the, the, the most recent stuff I've looked at. Okay. Um, is pretty niche. So, mm-hmm. so I got really into people's security strategies. Okay. Um, like how do people, you know, how do third parties help sex workers protect themselves or not? Um, so like in strip clubs, for example, you know, bouncers are there. Um, but the research also interviewed third parties and sex workers who work for them. So mm-hmm. the dancers said, you know, the dancers didn't necessarily all agree that, that bouncers or management provided adequate security. Um, right. sometimes they would, you know, have a hard time getting bouncers to do stuff for them, like kick, uh, people out. Yeah. yeah. Like their boundaries out of the club or right. get money for them. Um, other people found that they, they did do that. But the thing that I found really interesting about security was how people used like gender and racial stereotypes in their favor. Mm, um, right. Strategy. So I just thought that was really interesting. So like, you know, bouncers obviously like enact tough, masculinity for that um right and uh but i saw a few of the third parties that we interviewed managed men and i found that really interesting because um i guess we don't necessarily think of men in the in the sex industry as requiring protection um, or protect right so and 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 so there was this one guy who who managed who had managed a massage parlor and also a strip club and you know so one of the things he said was well like these guys are muscly right so so I don't really <laughs> worry that too much about their security um, and it just, and and then this other guy who um, interestingly he was the only person in the whole research who unironically referred to himself as a pimp really um, he was this he was this gay guy. Um, who who managed uh, who booked duos with younger men so that um, you know to to extend his his income from sex work which was diminishing because he was getting, he was getting older. older and uh, and so he so his security when he talked about security he talked about his own security because he was worried that his that the guys who worked for him would attack him oh um, wow and That's and one time one of them like one of them kind of did like he picked up this he he kind of like quickly hired this guy and took him to a call and he like robbed the client at knife point oh my gosh so it's, oh wow it's an interesting um yeah it's just a really interesting reversal of of security assumptions and concerns but also stuff that happens i mean not to say that like women never um are able to protect themselves or don't retaliate against their clients i think that's something that i guess we hear of in the news sometimes if right it, if really um dramatic but uh yeah i just found that really an interesting Definitely thing to, to look into what do you find or what have you found in your research in regards to indoor sex work or I guess maybe specifically to do with strip clubs like what were the major issues or challenges that you found that strippers were having problems with in in regards to their managers or management I mean I would say a lot of the problems at strip clubs emanate from the fact that strippers 
are classified as independent contractors. Right. So they can be, there's not really like, they can be fired easily by management. They can, um, like they're, they're expected to do free labor in some place like in Ottawa, like, because they have to work like a, a shift that the club tells them, but they're not paid hourly for it. They just make their money from lap dances. Right. Uh, and then there's a lot of discrimination based on how people look, right? So mm-hmm. the, the strip clubs hire, or they prefer women who kind of, who look like Pamela Anderson in the 80s, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and then everyone else, you know, if, if people are too dark or too fat for that, then they they are not hired or they're, fired later right. on or they're or they're limited in how um, where they can work or or how many shifts they can have but i think this is a question that maybe i'll pass on to a couple of my colleagues from work safe to work safe because yes. i see that they're here yes they popped um, in and I think it's all good <laughs> to, to have people talk about management from their own perspective Yes, I would definitely love to hear more about that. Like, I just had an episode with Onyx Sachi, who's a dancer, um, who's based in Alberta right now, but she's also da- danced in, like, Western BC, also toured, and she is, has, like, an ongoing legal battle with one of the strip clubs there, and then she's just been banned from working at any clubs mm-hmm. in Alberta. And her, her story, I'm not sure if you've heard her story, but it's really just frustrating to hear that they can act in this kind of way. So, um, but I guess, yeah, that's just a sidebar. But <laughs> I'd uh, love to get in touch with, I see, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. Hello. I'm Steph. Hello. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Welcome, Me welcome. Too. Thanks for having us. You are so very welcome. Um, we're going to be talking about WorkSafe, TwerkSafe which is an organization, and correct me if I'm wrong here, correct me if I'm wrong, if um, it's an organization that was started in 2018, and it's all yes. about, um, it's a stripper-led organization, and it's run by former and current exotic dancers, and I'd love to hear the need and the why for the group. Why was that formed? I think you know, the first part of your interview shows the needs and the why. Yes. I think the stripper community is small and kind of niche in a way that we're often um, a little bit overlooked by broad, broader advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an assumption that because, you know, our job is legal that we face less stigma than other sex workers, which to an extent is true. Right. But there's also kind of less specific resources for us. Right. Or a lack thereof. Yeah. Yeah. Or not accessible even. So Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're trying to kind of fill that void. For sure. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that you were able to identify that because I think I was looking through the website and there wasn't any other organization like that in Ontario. So you were able to step up and form it and you've been going strong since 2018. So yeah, congrats. I mean, the pandemic <laughs> kind of threw a wrench into some things, but right. what didn't it throw a wrench in, right? Yes, <laughs> that is very correct. I also wanted to introduce, because um, I see another person on here as well, and correct me if this is wrong, um, Janice, are you there? Yes. 
Good Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. And you're also part of WorkSafe to WorkSafe. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear more about it. And I've also just loved to get the word out on the great work that you are doing. So tell me a little bit about how this came to be. If we rewind back to 2018. Uh, Jennifer, do you want to? Yeah. <laughs> We're all being polite yeah. here and waiting for everyone to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2018, we started uh, getting together with the nice ladies at Metrapac, and they are a Toronto-based, gender-based violence prevention nonprofit in, in Toronto. Okay. And uh, they kind of secured us some funding for the first year uh, with a focus on providing folks with legal education. Mm-hmm. So um, on our website, we've done some uh, resources about, for example, if you have a problem at work and you want to report it somewhere, we've you know provided some links to public health, to municipal bylaw, to this and that, and right. kind of a right. short primer underneath to explain to people if the requests can be anonymous, how long does like uh, the process usually take? Right. right. Um, and just kind of what to expect to make that less daunting for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also done some work about, you know, what is consent and how is that a little bit different in the club than, you know, in real life. And, um, what do we have coming up uh, later this month? So later in February, we're going to do a winter and COVID mental health uh, workshop online. And uh, yeah, I mean, wow. that's... That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I love hearing about that. Just And I love the word daunting that you use because when it comes to legal, I think, and I, I'm just using this as a generalization, but... When it comes to legal, I feel that a lot of people are maybe turned off about that or not wanting to get involved. You know, maybe like it sounds expensive. There's going to be money involved. How long is this going to take? There's just basically a lot of hurdles for for one to cross when you get involved with legal. So was it difficult in terms of finding organizations that are willing or, the, or that are open to working with sex workers? Well, we got really lucky with Metrac. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in the nonprofit world, kind of everyone knows each other. Okay. And um, I'd say that's kind of especially true in the kinds of places that do work for marginalized women. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, in Toronto, like Maggie's Toronto yes. is a, a org for sex workers and they've been around for like 35 years or something. So I think that, you know, they definitely paved the way that um, kind of mainstream organizations in Toronto are more willing to to work with sex workers. Yes. Yeah. Because they kind of see the need. They yeah. see that Maggie does a good job. Like, 
you know, and, and that's awesome. And, and I think that, yeah, it's really helpful. Like I'm sure it's similar in the Vancouver area too. I would um, say so. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like if you were in small town, I don't know where, like right. that might be much harder. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think we're definitely blessed that we live in kind of a liberal, liberal city with, you know, a vibrant gay village, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, uh, yeah. That's awesome. I I love to hear that. I mean, as a sex worker, it, it can be difficult to, yeah, approach legal or just approach any type of help and, having that feeling of like, okay, am I going to be judged for what I do? And not just in terms of legal counsel, but also having a sex worker friendly, say like accountant and stuff too. I've, I've heard. Right, we have that. Oh, you we do? Oh, wonderful. Please. Yeah. Tell I would love to hear more about like what else and what other services um, that WorkSafe to WorkSafe offers. So that's what I do, actually. I provide um, financial literacy for the organization. So um, I have a background in accounting as well as I'm a financial advisor. Wow. So we are coming up with a tax workshop sometime, I think, in March, right? Yes. 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 Sometimes in March. So I'm going to be doing that, presenting that, as well as giving some of um, the sex workers financial advice and solutions and strategies and stuff like that because i mean we do make big you know <laughs> sex workers make good money right we do but a lot of the times they don't know what to do with it <laughs> like yeah you know i remember i remember days just thinking i just have this money and it's just sitting here i'm just gonna go shopping you know just for no mm-hmm. reason right not realizing about the long term of right. that right so yeah these things these are the things that i bring to the table I would love to hear more about that as well, just because, as you said, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it, of it too, you know, like, oh, man, I scored big, like, last night at the club, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to treat myself. Yeah, and yeah. we treat ourselves a lot. A you lot. Know what I mean? Like, every day is Christmas for me, when I used to tell them, I'm like, every day is Christmas, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's for sure. It's good to make lots of money, but it's also good to know what to do with it right? Like in the right way, where to put it, you know, um, right. so that it does benefit you in the long run, because we don't, we have a very small window for this, for our career, right? Exactly. So, can you, can you speak a little bit about like what kind of advice that you would give? I mean, I know we have like a short time frame here, but like, what are some common questions that sex workers go to for in terms of accounting? And like, how would you advise them? Generally speaking? So a lot of, a lot of, um, sex workers don't know like how they would um, report income, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? So um, I would provide them, okay, well, this is your industry code that you would use. They have an industry code for dancers. They have an industry code for sex workers. They also have an industry industry code. If you don't want to use that, you could use just whatever. You could say you're a consultant, right? So as long as you're reporting something is what the government wants you know even if you're making selling drugs you know (laughs) believe it or not the cra they want they want some of that money you know so you'll get caught regardless but Mm -hmm. the point is right you have to report your income so Mm -hmm. it just makes sense to and then it's not it's a good idea to report your income because you get benefits yes so a lot of the girls didn't understand that you know if you weren't filing your taxes then you're not going to get served. You're not going to get 
TRB. You right. Know? So it's important to do these things. If you have children, it's important to file your taxes, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, those, no. that's the advice I would give. I feel we can do an episode on that entirely. <laughs> it's such a big topic. I would topic. love to do it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Money is, it, it is. It really is. Like, I've learned a lot from, um, you know, being a financial advisor and just from having money and being able to, you know, do these, buy stuff and whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. And plan for the future as well. So, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking about now. And I would like everybody else to think about that too. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, I love us. I love to like kind of pivot the topic over to the current GoFundMe campaign because it's also very current. It's really relevant in regards to the pandemic that we're in. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. So what I've read online about the ongoing campaign is that there's an ongoing legal case with the government of Ontario. So I guess this was created in response to the strip club closures that was Ontario wide. And that was due to obviously the COVID-19 pandemic, but obviously the government did this without consulting strippers and like, how was that going to affect their income, their livelihood, everything. So I don't know who would like to chime in. (laughs) There's a lot of us on the call today. Well, apparently, you know, our premier likes to say we're all in this together (laughs) <laughs> but I think he put a little asterisk. Sex workers are not together. Right. Um, so what happened is... Um, oh, my God. It's such a long story. <laughs> no, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. So basically, you know, when Ontario started reopening a little bit here and there, clubs opened at reduced capacity Mm -hmm. and um, no more lap dances. We all had to do like distance dancing, fine. And then there were um, two outbreaks in the Toronto clubs. And, you know, I'm not trying to minimize that people got sick, but at one club, it was one staff member and one client at another club, it was, I think, six or seven people that got ill. Oh, wow. And um, what turned out that was problematic in all of this is the clients lied on the contact tracing sheet. Of course. Of course. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, our point is, had we been consulted, had anyone bothered to make a Zoom call with a bunch of strippers, we would have been like, no, no, like, you know, we work in an industry where both the women that work there and the men that go there have kind of specific privacy considerations. Mm -hmm. And this contact tracing method is kind of inapplicable to our industry. Right. Um, That didn't happen. The outbreak happened. The media hoopla happened. Yes. And they did this kind of knee-jerk response. Um, So every other sector in Ontario was open or closed on like a regional public health geographical boundary basis. Okay. Um, But when they closed the strip clubs, they closed all the strip clubs in all of Ontario. Uh, That means even in places that had, you know, very minimal 
case, cases. cases compared to Toronto. Oh, wow. And the timing of this closure was uh, the last weekend before the first of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government didn't, you know, even let the clubs kind of, so the cutoff would have been at midnight on Friday. Oh, my gosh. Midnight Friday, everybody goes home. Wow. And, uh, like, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, weekends are, you know, generally there's more people in the clubs. Yeah. That's kind of giving you a better chance if you're scrambling for rent last minute. Yeah. This was also kind of uh, in that window of time where CERB ended and the new benefit didn't begin. Okay. So, yeah, like I guess September, end of August or so around yeah. the timeline. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, end of September. And, uh, you know, we just felt that's unfair. We feel, especially in a pandemic, but in normal times too, it should Mm -hmm. be the workers at the table talking to government about their occupational health and safety needs. Right. You know, it doesn't benefit dancers that the owners speak about our bodies and our health and our safety on on our behalf right like it turns into this weird situation where it's just a group of men at the table talking about the health and safety of the women whom they you know purposely misclassify as employees Mm -hmm. you know the wolf never cares about the health of the sheep no story and uh you know we we tried to kind of reasonably and nicely and politely ask, would you, could you please, we'd like to sit at the table and our offers were ignored. Um, like we weren't even dinged with a response. And oh, wow. so we felt like we had no other option than to file for this judicial review. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, here we are. Um, our lawyer, our, our main lawyer, Naomi Sayers is awesome. Yay. And a badass in so many ways. <laughs> uh, and she's helping us a lot. That's wonderful. Um, but, you know, we still have administrative costs that we have to pay for. Right. Um, and so we're trying to raise $5,000 to, uh, you know, keep the momentum, momentum going. Right. And, uh, you know, we're quietly crossing our fingers. Yeah, for that sure. This, you know... I, I think could be important in the long run for other sex workers too. Absolutely. Um, because we all deserve a seat at the table. For sure. That's so great. I, I love hearing about this, but also it just breaks my heart to hear about all the efforts that you're going through and then not even hear a peep from the government at all. Oh, no, they made peeps. Oh, they the did? peeps just weren't very nice. Oh, yeah. oh, no. Oh, no. I feel bad for the husbands that have to go home tonight because of the brass rail. And how are they going to explain it to their wives? Oh, my gosh. You don't feel bad for us? Yeah. Sir? Like, I thought you're, you know, um, our lovely mayor said, I don't know how these places are still open. What kind of reasonable person would be going there? Dear mayor, we paid $400 a year in licensing fees. Like, you know we exist. Like, why are we pretending all of a sudden that you, like, found us under a tree? Oh, my gosh. Like, it was not nice. I am so sorry to hear that. Oh, dear. It's super not nice. No. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I am glad. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you've come to come onto the show and I'm really hoping that we can get more dollars to the fund to help the organization, to help Thank the you. case. That's yeah. So nice. I really hope that, that we'll be able to like find us more dollars into that. So but thank you for sharing. I, I I know how incredibly frustrating it is. And almost all of the strip clubs here in BC are closed. There's one currently open that I'm supposed to be going back to work in a couple weeks. But I'm not sure why the other ones haven't reopened. But I think there's a I think this one is kind of positioned. Is it a question of like island versus city? No, it's this one is not right downtown where all the ones are currently shut down, but this one's in a municipality called Surrey. So that one's still open, but I'm wondering if it's if they're positioned as say maybe a sports bar that they're allowed to operate, but I'm not huh. I'm not sure what's happening with that, but the other ones have not. They had reopened briefly and then like Toronto, they had uh, an outbreak at one of the local clubs here. And then, of course, the media just went to town on that. And there, yeah, it was just a nightmare and they haven't reopened. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening with that, on, the, on that front, at least. So. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just, it's just really frustrating. But as the I, whole thing is a mess. The whole world is a mess. <laughs> it's it's a weird, a weird time for sure. Um, <laughs> for the world, but um, there were a few questions that came in that I'd love to throw out to Dr. Law, Jennifer, Janice, all of you. So um, I explained to Dr. Law that some of these questions already off air that some of them are actually quite similar, um, but I guess we can kind of just go into it. I believe the first three are, can kind of be grouped into one. So can your vanilla job terminate or demote you due to you being involved in sex work. The other one is, can sex work jeopardize civilian lines of work? And then the other one, again, similar, could the employer ever terminate me or take away any hours if they find out about my online sex work? This person has an OnlyFans. Uh, I can, I'll start that one maybe and other people can continue it if they want. Um, So occupation is not a protected class in in human rights or labor rights. So people can fire you for that um, because it's not like, you know, it's not racial discrimination or gender, like it's not one of the kinds of protected discrimination. I see. Um, But, uh, and I guess sometimes we've heard about that in the newspaper, right? Like there was a couple of university uh, lecturers in the States, at least there was at least one that's fired for, because they found a paramedic. Yes, yeah, and then there was—I think there was also like a high school teacher, yes, uh, who was fired. So, so that does happen. I mean, that doesn't mean people don't make it work, right? Like, I think that there's some jobs that people like jobs in, in healthcare and stuff. Like, I like I did a study on what sex workers do after sex work, mm-hmm. um, and some people go into jobs like uh, that where where they are less likely to encounter stigma, like peer outreach or, um, you know, social work or stuff like that. Right. Um, where maybe it's less stressful to keep that a secret because they, they either have told people and like, you know, that's how people end up working somewhere like Maggie's. 
um, right. or yeah, or it's just something that they might do as like a way to you know maybe they keep a few clients if they're an escort along with their vanilla job and don't advertise anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not employment is not a protected it's not ground covered. Okay, interesting. I actually didn't know that. Jennifer, Janice, did you want to chime in? <laughs> Dr. Law is 100% correct. But there is some interesting work. I think they're called APAG. Okay. It's the American Porn and Cam Girl uh, Union. Like it's a guild for screen oh. performers of the sexy nature. Okay. And uh, they are in the process of doing some kind of legal work to potentially add occupation um, as a protected class in the States. Cool. I didn't know that. Uh, I don't know like how far along that is or, you know, what the feasibility of that is. But, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and toes for them. Yes. Um, because, you know, with these kind of broader justice issues, it's like if one jurisdiction gets her done, it kind of helps the forward push anywhere else, right? Yes, definitely. But definitely now, it's we're not in that case, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense that porn performers are taking the lead on that too, because they're mm-hmm. like especially vulnerable. on the screen. Like, yes, it's like here's you, and there's your face. Like, what can you what can you say for <laughs> that? You know, it's a little bit harder to prove if someone is an escort or a stripper. Right. Yeah, seen them. Interesting. I would love to do more research on that and hopefully (laughs) hear some good things because that that would be hugely progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Janice, did you have anything to say about that? (laughs) I don't want to leave you out. Um, No, I just like if I'm doing a vanilla job, I just generally tend to keep quiet about these types of things because like you said, Right, I do realize that there is there is a stigmatism against um, among sex workers. Huge so, stigma. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. And I guess the last question here, with regards to that response, which I didn't know of, but how how do you fight unlawful termination over an employer firing you for being a sex worker? I guess you can't. I don't know, like, I, I guess I'll have a better answer about this at the end of the summer because I'm going to get a student to research this over the summer so that we can um, have some more information about what people could actually do through existing legal mechanisms in Ontario. Interesting. Um, we're hoping to put that on the website, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know. I suppose you could, in theory, get a really clever lawyer that I'm sure is also super expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe if you can swing it back to gender discrimination. Yeah, maybe. Interesting. Then, yeah, that'd be a good approach. Though. Yeah, I wonder. But, like, that's a big speculation yeah. and a big yeah. maybe and depends on yeah. the competence of a lawyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This is not legal advice. Yeah, <laughs> it, it seems like that would be expensive and, and a long maybe shot. It's not yeah. worth it, right? Right. That's another, yeah, might not be Yeah, but I guess stay tuned. Stay tuned. Maybe we'll have an answer for that in August. Yes. I'll have to email you back in August to see what the findings would be for that. 
but that's all the questions I have for this week's episode. But before I let all of you go, I just wanted to make sure that we covered everything and were there any closing notes or or statements or anything that you want to say to the audience in regards to, you know, sex industry management, work safe, twerk safe, anything along those lines? Uh, we're always an email away. And, you know, if strippers have a question or want to say hello or want to write us a brief intro and be like, hello, I'm so-and-so from club here and here. Can I, uh, you know, come to your next event? You know, we're always an email away. Yeah. Awesome. And we're, yeah, we have Zoom events lately. So oh, people yeah. cool. head from yeah. different province if they want. That would be awesome. I know you mentioned there's an event coming up in March. Um, this episode should be released, I think, at the end of February. But if you have any upcoming events, I'd love to plug it. So unfortunately, we have just set a date for the mental health workshop. Mm-hmm. That will be on February 22nd Okay. at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and in March, we're going to have a tax preparation slash financial literacy one. Awesome. Um, Janice, did you settle on a date for that yet or no i thought you were going to get back to me um we okay. can do it like the first or second week of march okay okay cool that'll be just in time so yay yeah. i'll be sure to plug that like once once i get the notes i'll get in contact with both of you and i can plug okay. down the show notes awesome yes yeah, to help promote okay. it so but yeah, yeah and we have we advertise that stuff on the website too right um i just because i don't think like because we end up talking about a various stuff earlier in the interview I'll maybe I'll I'll just close um with a few comments about management sure um so I was referring to that thing that I assign students to read sometimes why do why work with third parties so maybe I'll just close with like a a few reasons for that sure Uh, so so sex workers work with third parties because I mean it's kind of like the decision that people make in other professions like or other trades like plumbing, you know, either you could work for someone else and just go to work and come home, or you could open your own business and have to do all the responsibilities that people who run a business have, right? Like pay the rent and like buy all the tools and like set up everything, like get the contracts. Whereas, um, yeah, that's, that's a big reason why, why sex workers, work for third parties is because if you work for an escort agency, then someone, you know, takes care of your screening and books your appointments and all you have to do is show up uh, with a strip club, you know, you go into a club and there's a whole infrastructure there for you. Um, And then you, you just can get your money and from the customers and leave. And uh, there's, you know, and it's, it's more casual than, um, than, more mainstream job environments where like, you know, you can, it's easier to take time off. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just people. So I think that's a big reason why people work for third parties in the sex industry is because um, they can just, it just makes it easier to, to make money without having all those other business related responsibilities. For sure. Yeah. And even like, even at a strip club, even though the bouncers and management don't always, do a good job in terms of like kicking 
customers out if they cross people's boundaries. Um, you know, even though strippers do have complaints about that, they, they're still there, right? They're still there. Um, so other strippers are there, most importantly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So right. like all of that, like infrastructure makes it, makes it feel safer and yeah. more comfortable. Definitely. The security, like the, the camaraderie as well. Yeah. Like those are just things that you can't, or it would be hard to do if you're independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't change your own gossip with yourself. No. no. no <laughs> I mean, you can, but that's kind of insanity. No. <laughs> something you can do, right? It would just be. Yeah. Right. Oh, I definitely miss that so much. So, so much. <laughs> well, awesome. I mean, before I let all of you go, where can we find you? Or, yeah, can we find you? <laughs> we have yes, the website. Yes. Yeah, on Twitter. Yes. And I think we are on Twitter and we have a website. Perfect. What is the handle on Twitter again? TwerkSafe. TwerkSafe. Perfect. I'll be sure to add that in the show notes as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess with that, that wraps up the episode. So, Dr. Law, Jennifer, Janice, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Today was a complete pleasure. And and thanks for dealing with the time difference as well. <laughs> Many time difference. <laughs> but it's Strip by Sia on Instagram. It's also my personal is Sia Steph. And it's new episodes every single Sunday. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe on Apple. As well as give me a five-star review if you like the content. So anyways, another episode next Sunday. Thanks everyone for joining. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern. Yeah.